Okay, Angela, so welcome. This is our the start of the Future of Education interview series daily show, resurrecting after having done 300 in-depth interviews uh, over a long period of time and feeling like a daily show might actually be valuable, in part because I think we're headed into somewhat uncharted territory. Uh, Australia has gone into lockdown, a pretty significant lockdown on a relatively low number of COVID cases, and I think that may be an indicator that we're going to see some similar concerns in the U.S. as we hit the winter season, fall and winter season. Um, and a the topic for the show today is teacher entrepreneurship. And the, the reason for this is that you know quite a bit about this. Um, there are mixed feelings in the community yeah. about teacher entrepreneurship. Um, you know, should teachers be individuals making a million dollars? There's a very healthy thread of teachers developing expertise that they get to share outside of their classroom experiences. Um, so we're going to talk about kind of what, what the different pathways are for people to, to find and magnify their voice in this area, uh, what the actual opportunities might be, and just ideas that you have on how to approach the thought. And the balancing factor here might be people are going to feel really busy again this year. They're going to feel under a lot of pressure, uh, likely. And, it, you know, is there a reason to be thinking about this even when there are all these other pressures? Is there mental, is there value mental in your, your mental health to magnifying your voice and thinking about yourself as, a, uh, as someone outside of the classroom? So where would be a good place to start? I love this topic, first of all. I just want to make that clear. I think, um, oh gosh, there's so many things. So um, I think defining entrepreneurship makes a huge difference because there's a difference in the, in the entrepreneurship space between a small business, a side gig, um, selling goods or services, and then doing that full-time or part-time and, and what entrepreneurship is. And so how, how would you differentiate those? Well, entrepreneur has a connotation of being small scale and bootstrapping. Okay. Um, but I would say even the, say someone like you who has developed a career out of this, mm -hmm. I would still call an entrepreneur, maybe in part because you're not running an organization. Right. You haven't, you know, you're not, you don't have 20 people on staff. Let's say you were an ed tech consulting firm that could still be entrepreneurial, but that's not sort of what I'm thinking of as I think about an individual teacher trying to find a way to participate in the larger conversation based on things that he or she has, has learned and developed as core strengths. So I'm thinking small scale. So you could, so I would push back a little bit on that because Jeff Bezos isn't small scale. Richard Branson isn't small scale. Seth Godin isn't small scale. And so I, I think the difference is in mindset and in objective and outcome. So the smartest, most prolific entrepreneurs have recognized that their success comes from figuring out how to change human behavior, how to change the circumstances in context around human behavior. That doesn't mean there isn't a product involved, there isn't a service involved. Whereas a small business owner um, recognizes success and measures it from the perspective of 
a deliverable service or product. And even though they overlap, there's a significant mindset because there's an external, internal, and and running a small business or running any business is is um, absolutely and and they're all involving hard work. So this isn't a good or bad. There is a difference. So um, I think that one of the deep things about entrepreneurship is not only the habits and mindsets that it embodies, but great entrepreneurs are on a, a journey that is both external and internal. And that internal journey is 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 oriented toward humanity, not oriented towards goods and services. So at the end of the day, um, an entrepreneur is at a core piece with whatever the outcome is. So there isn't this derivative, like I will sell this much, I will rank this much, and then that's how. It's it's very purpose-driven, if that makes sense. Does that it make does. sense? It does. It totally does. And there's some history here, right? Yeah. So when yeah. blogging started and teachers began to have an ability to, to have voice, that wasn't necessarily about profit or providing a service. Right. It was about being able right. to actually speak, yes. to, to not be in yes. the, I mean, there's this, there are these parallel worlds between teachers and students and this sort of sense that you're constrained. And remember, you had to be sort of anonymous early on because you were afraid that your principal or the superintendent would see what you're saying. And so... But there was this moment when the blogosphere allowed educators to actually have a voice. Yes. And then yes. you think, okay, so if on the other end of the spectrum are the Jeff Bezos kind of level of entrepreneurship yeah. or the Seth Godin, I'm going to guess that 99% of teachers who start thinking about teacher entrepreneurship are going to think about it in terms of individual voice and doing something that they passionately love and serves others versus building up the king, uh, kingdom. Yeah, right? you know, I agree. An Amazon. Or, Absolutely. Uh, you know, Changing humanity. So I think, yeah. so if you look at the history of entrepreneur, uh, of entrepreneurism, the sort of origin of it was defined as an activity of setting up a business or the um, process of taking financial risks in hope of some profit. So it, when that evolved, I think when social started happening, there was this whole movement to divorce entrepreneurship from profit and the concept of social entrepreneurship, which is building your enterprises around some kind of humanitarian effort or so, some sort of impact, whether it's impact investing or or social impact. And, and then I think there's this new transformation again. Um, where it isn't a full divorce from entrepreneurship to the idea of, of company profit, all of that, because being an entrepreneur clearly can be profitable, but there's huge risk. So I think what settles is originally teachers start thinking like, I have a voice and I have talent and I have a gift and I have content and services beyond what I'm providing to my third grade class or my high school class. And can I monetize that in some way? So I think there's that, that's the initial pathway. Um, and then I heard in face, uh, Facebook was having this conversation. I'm in this principals group and someone wrote in there, a principal wrote in there, like, what do you think about the principals are trying to profit and become famous and um, beyond the classroom? 
And there was this a very interesting conversation because if that was to be had in the entrepreneurial community, they would be like, absolutely. Like if you have something that others need, the community is what defines an entrepreneur. The impact defines more than profit. Um, but there was a huge backlash about it as you were talking. Yeah, it's so interesting thinking of my own thinking at this moment. Like I'm thinking about education being very much at a, a fragile spot right now and uh, people's uh, mental and emotional health being challenged and the variety of things that are going on. And so I've been thinking of this particular topic within the discussion with you in terms of partly finding a way to re-engage authentically around yeah. the things that a teacher cares about, which can be done through sort of very small scale entrepreneurship and also some sense of agency in terms of employment. Yeah. Meaning yeah. if schools are shutting down or the work hours are just terrible, <laughs> you know, is there opportunity here? So in terms of the conversation with you, I was thinking, okay, so this is a way to start talking about how to become a little bit more independent, both mm -hmm. in terms of voice mm -hmm. and financially, whereas the, 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 the real jump to something like that principle, you know, starting a, a consulting business or becoming um, famous, better famous or better yeah. known, feels like that would be really hard for a lot of people, but they might be willing to start small. Yeah. So I think go back to, as a linguist, go back to the dictionary for a moment, like strip down the truest meaning of entrepreneurship is um, advancing the process of change. So at the core, seeing a problem you want to solve. And I think if teachers started there, instead of from the perspective, not saying they do, but um, an alternative to the perspective of, I've got something good, I want to sell it, or I've got something, I want to do something different, I'm going to try to market it. That good entrepreneurs at the core, no matter what dimension, see a problem and believe that they have something to solve it. So um, to go forward, they find an approach, not necessarily to alleviate the problem, although that would be the goal, but to make the problem more um, accessible or better for people, um, help them discover how the world has changed and how the solution um, can, can be a part of this new change kind of thing. Um, and I think if you start there, it's a pure, more successful route that can help move you forward versus like, I really I've, like that. Yeah. I've got something that someone else is going to have. That's really hard in a crowded marketplace, even with, so what it does, it, 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 that's why I think teachers are really good and, and ready for this because it's driven by empathy. It's driven by understanding, um, you know, what, what we should be teaching our kids that every single person has something that someone else in the room or the world needs. It's the foundation of show and tell, right? <laughs> so where would someone start? You know, if somebody has an idea or if they think yep. there's a way in which they could improve the classroom experience or the student experience or something administrative, how does someone get started? So this is going to sound like it's off the beaten path, but they need to the start with a deep dive into themselves like what I call their POV, what is their personal um, value? Oh, oh my gosh, that just left my 
that just went out of my brain. Proposition, <laughs> PVP, personal value proposition. What I mean by that is that the best, most successful entrepreneurs that I've worked with and know have always felt um, a, and understood this deeply personal, aware relationship between themselves and the world. And by that, I mean, whether it's their employees, whether it's their customers, whether it's their community and understanding that self-awareness isn't what you say about yourself. It's what other people say. And if other people don't perceive what you have to be of value to them, no one cares about your good idea. No one cares about your good product unless they know that it's going to, unless they know what's in it for them. So great entrepreneurs are hyper self-aware. And that's not something that we're good at as human beings. We have this perception of who we are and who we want to be, but it's not wrapped into how other people perceive us. And I think that's a big mistake going forward because it puts us in the mind, I've got something great and I know this works. Well, it doesn't really matter what you think and what you know. It matters how your community is going to perceive it. And most importantly, whether they view it as something that could be impactful. And so that's where you start as a really deep dive into who you are and what what you have that's unique and how that can solve a problem that or enhance the process of change in other people. You and I have talked a lot about this under the yeah. phrase uh, sell them what they want, give them what they need. Yes, yes. Right. And that's so hard because, <laughs> it because you'll say, oh, oh, I have this idea. If everybody would do this, it would be so much better. Yes. But then you realize, okay, number one is I may not actually be right. right. <laughs> that has to be tested, right? The ideas need the, to be tested. But also I may say this is really good, but it may not match the immediate needs. And the example that we've, you and I have used before is Caesar Milan and the mm-hmm. dog whisperer. That, <laughs> is that what he called himself? I can't remember, but yes, yes. you know, the idea that people say, I want my dog to obey or I want my child to obey. But the truth is it's actually about becoming better yourself. And yes. so it's the, it's yes. not your dog. It's you as an owner and the environment you're providing for your dog. So that becomes really tricky, right? So yes. I can have an idea. So how do I go from, Hey, I think I have a, personal value proposition, or I have a particular way of thinking about something. And now I want to sort of test that. I want to see, do people respond? Right. Are there, are there easy ways to kind of stick your toe in the water? I think you have to have a really good, um, so two, two traits or two mindset embodiments of really powerful entrepreneurs are not only this fierce, um, like critical level, like Gary Vandecheck always says, if I could give entrepreneurs one thing, I would literally give them the biggest dose of self-awareness. I would like shoot it in their arm and in their heart. Like that is what is missing. But the second is they are very aware of patterns and trends. They are trend spotters. So like in my po- process of pivoting during COVID, not only did I try to understand virtual, I understood that beyond this default to virtual would be a lean in to hybrid. And so really, really invested a lot of time and energy in researching and studying the dimensions of what make hybrid incredible. So not just talking to the organizations and 
individuals during COVID to manage, to like get through, but to be proactive in to getting the best of what we liked about hybrid or about virtual so that when we did get together face-to-face that we brought that with us. And so there's this, um, like, I don't know, you don't call it visionary necessarily, but they have an ability to, so like no one knew, like I'm going to Steve Jobs, but no one knew that they needed an iPhone. We didn't even know we needed an iPhone, but Steve Jobs envisioned that the iPhone would be absolutely significant. And that's what he sold a vision of what didn't exist already. And so um, that's a hard thing to do. That's a really hard thing to do, but a really important thing. So if educators could kind of hone in or focus on those two things, not only um, who they are and what they value, because at the end of the day, you have to be okay with yourself. So much of entrepreneurship is, is dwelling in failure and being able to understand the nuances of what failure produces. Um, but they also need to understand the market. They need to understand it isn't, it isn't just the bubble that they live in. You have to get out of the bubble that you live in. And what's good is for you isn't necessarily good for the market. So I have an idea. I'm thinking yeah. maybe I have a particular way that I, I'm good at teaching the classics. Yeah. So I have this sense that I could actually have an impact beyond my particular classrooms. For The advice that I would typically give someone is go out and start finding and curating the yeah. content of others who are in that community and then look for ways to contribute. Yes. yes. To look for a community of people with whom you can kind of contribute and then start bouncing ideas off of and yes. say, oh, okay, so I'm going to do a a blog post or I'm going to do um, a Zoom call or I'm going to do some way of actually focusing on this particular idea and seeing how people react to it. Would that be a good way to start? Yeah, absolutely. So again, I'm going to go back, sound like a broken record, but the first big work that an entrepreneur goes through is recognizing our own value. And that sounds so simple. And that is not a simple process. This is beyond personal branding. This is beyond like getting a logo or, or labeling, you know, what your website's going to be and what the colors are. This is a deep dive into truly, because so, especially in education, this is hard. And I'm going to, I'm going to add to that layer for women. I would say that's a, that's a broad sweep, but on a whole, it's, it's really hard because by nature, we are a giving and we pride ourselves in humbleness and holding back. But in education in general, our identity and our value is so wrapped up in our knowledge, in our content, in what we do and not who we are. So I always say your genius is not your job title. They may be related, but they're two different things. So that is the, the deepest work. And when you have that secure and you understand what your UVP is, your unique value proposition, then go to, um, go to your community. And I would start with some close friends, some people that you trust that could give you feedback that you could, you do this all the time. We do this together all the time. Like I'm going to throw this idea out. We trust each other enough that we are honest and, and supportive, but honest and saying, you know what? I don't, I don't know if that's what the market needs right now. Right. I know that is your passion, but what if you looked at it like this and then 
to a little bit broader community. And I think the important mindset there is there's a whole lot of effort and energy and work and giving that goes in to the idea or the journey that you may not see immediate ROI on. And that is not something that education is used to because we put in this many hours and we get this out or we put in over the hours and, and get that out. And so one of the differentiators of the mindset is there's what's called an entrepreneurial mindset and there's an, an employee mindset. An employee, it's not good or bad again, it's different. An employee is input in, input out. So I work this many hours, I am guaranteed this. I work over that many hours, I'm guaranteed this. There's an idea of clocking in and clocking out. Um, and some people function really well on that. They know every two weeks I'm going to get this. They know what to budget. With entrepreneurship, you could put a thousand hours in and get nothing immediate out of it. It might come back to you tenfold five years later <laughs> in another instance or venture. That is a really, really big shift in terms of mindset and what you can handle in terms of ambiguity. So Casey just tweeted, Whose yeah. life are you really impacting if you're not for self-aware? I want to raise a very, what I think might be a very yeah. difficult conversation. Um, I think one of the fascinating things that I've noticed about schooling is that it can often produce self-loathing. Yes. A sense of not being good enough. Yep. If people really knew who I was, I, I, they would see that I'm a fraud or that I'm not as capable as I'm pretending to be because Schooling is so much about meeting other people's expectations. It can be hard to, to go to self-awareness and have that self-awareness not be super critical. So how do we deal with the internal negative voices that might make us mm -hmm. feel like, well, I'm not worthy? So in, so just in the, that is a, in the world of work or entrepreneurism, that's called imposter syndrome. And I actually haven't met a successful person that doesn't battle imposter syndrome. It's the people that I worry about don't have it. <laughs> and so there is a healthy balance and dose of wondering that. And that's part of why I'm saying the journey to entrepreneurialism is an inside out journey. You have to understand at the end of the day, the thing that you can count on because you can't count on the market or context or any of that um, is who you are, knowing who you are, knowing what you value, getting back to that, being authentic around that. And, and yet the balance of self-awareness doesn't guarantee that you don't struggle with your significance and self-worth. And this isn't self-esteem, like making yourself feel better. This is understanding at the core what your value is. And that's something we do not teach. And, and we stray away from it when that should be the most important lesson that kids, so, you know, I call it owning your genius, <laughs> but, and people laugh at that, but it's absolutely true. This is a battle, why? And so I think what you're saying is the reason educators struggle with it, knowing that everybody struggles with it because it's human nature to want to make an impact, to want to matter. It's a biological need that we're going to struggle that with our enoughness. It needs to be a part of the education conversation with teachers, with kids, with um, our community from 
very early on so that we grow up understanding that the part of the struggle is healthy because you always do want to be making sure that your contribution makes an impact, that it's not based from hubris or ego or arrogance, um, that it's truly coming from a place of humility and humanity. But that's a, it, these are hard conversations. These are difficult. They're messy. They're very messy. So what I hear Angela saying is what we want is we have the sense of wanting to contribute to yep. being entrepreneurial. But what we need is to kind of go inside ourselves and do the self-work to figuring out who are we and what do we really want to contribute? Yes, 100%. Okay. So does anybody want to chime in? We have a small audience, but yeah. this would be a chance for yeah. anybody to request to take the microphone. What are, what are you thinking so far? Are you feeling like we've missed an important aspect of the teacher entrepreneurship topic? Is there something that's resonated with you that you want to help us understand a little bit better? Yeah, I'd love to hear from you. Casey, anybody, um, definitely request the mic. I would love to hear what you're thinking. And while we're waiting, yeah, I'm interested in, I, I love the temperament theory. I love, uh, you know, I feel like we, we come into this life with very different physical appearances. So it's hard to imagine that we don't have different mental structures as well, mental and emotional structures. And I'm like my mom in certain ways, and I'm like my dad in certain ways. So I feel like I kind of came pre-wired. So sometimes I'll look at someone else who's doing something successful, and I'll realize, I'll think, oh, I want to be like that. But it's not really a part of who I am. And I do take some comfort from Carl Jung's discussions of temperament where, you know, it's not about categorizing other people. It's feeling good about yourself. So how does a budding teacher entrepreneur kind of think about themselves realistically about what they're good at and what they like to do? Hmm. That is a great question. That's the question, right? It is, uh, it is a journey in self-discovery. It is. And it's like, there's no like, okay, just take this test and you'll know. And that's the hard part. Like, it's part of understanding your passion, part of understanding that we're driven to find purpose. I think there's, it's where do you um, glean meaning in your life? We're in a crisis of meaning and a crisis of purpose. And the best entrepreneurs understand how to maximize that crisis in, in a like total, like, business way. It doesn't mean it's bad, but they understand that at the core of people's challenge to change or challenge to get out of the status quo or comfort zone is these roads beyond that are really scary. And so we default to being comfortable. And so I wish I had like a blatant statement. I mean, there's a ton of exercises that I take young people through that I take young, you know, new budding entrepreneurs through, but there's no single one um, that gets you. It, it is a journey. There's, so let's say we yeah. take this beyond teacher entrepreneurship. Yeah. You're making this recommendation that we really get to know ourselves. We get to sort of understand who we are and what we can contribute and what our life's purpose and mission are. This is going to sound kind of funny, but, Shouldn't we be doing that anyway? 
Meaning if we have some hope of helping students go through that process themselves, oh, yeah. how could we possibly expect to be able to influence them in valuable ways if we haven't been through that process ourselves? That is a million dollar question about our relevance. I did, literally just spoke about this two days ago. I did my first live event two days ago and I was so excited. And it was about our rush back to normal. Like I, I, I want you to like envision this. I put a giant um, circle rope on the stage, like this big white rope and had everybody metaphorically stand in it. And that's our comfort zone. And we're biologically oriented to that. Entrepreneurs don't live there. They don't live there. There's not, they don't, not only don't live there, if they find that they're gravitating toward there, they intentionally lean into outside. Because if you think about the last year of your life and who you are now, even though we were all as humanity thrown so far out of our comfort zone where everything in our lives, everything from going to the grocery store to finding out if, if we could you know, even go outside and not contaminate everybody and everything that went with COVID, um, I wouldn't change it. Who I am now is I am a different person than I was a year and a half ago. I, I don't relish the pain that existed, but it is only in that that I've grown. And so, you, I, you know, this is my famous, like, paradox. You can be comfortable or you can be courageous. And entrepreneurship takes a tremendous amount of courage. It's built on courage. And courage isn't running in to a burning building. The opposite of courage is not cowardness. The opposite of courage is comfortability. So it, it is important to understand your relationship with uncomfortability, your relationship with ambiguity, your relationship with complexity. And if you start building the muscles in that relationship, defaulting to what is known, what is, there's nothing about entrepreneurship that's known. There's nothing predictable <laughs> except that you can handle it. That's the predictable. That's the falling back on it. So we have got to, I gave the example of graduate students, like the hardest group of learners to um, teach. I've taught preschool to grad school. In the last 33 years, I've taught everything in between. And preschool kids are absolutely um, comfortable with being uncomfortable, trying something new, having like open-ended time, whether it's playtime or exploration time, giving graduate students an open-ended project is like assigning them a nightmare, like from the set. So does it need to be five pages? Is that like, how, well, whatever it needs to be in order for you to make your point or to make an impact. Well, so if it, is whatever it needs to be, would 10 pages be okay? Would it, would it be single space? Like when you give them an open-ended project, it sends them into absolutely a tailspin. So that is the mindset they've created. These are the best of the best teachers who want to go on, who want to better themselves, who want to get an advanced degree. Like we've got a real um, dich uh, dichotomy between being educated and being ready for the world, to serve the world, to contribute. Does so that that's make sense? A real it's a real dilemma. Yeah. Right? Because schooling in large part is a 
system of conformance and compliance yeah. and meeting expectations. Absolutely. And so you're saying, okay, you get through this system to the to the graduate level and you get there because you you are okay living in that system. Yeah. If you balked at that in junior high school or high school or college, you left. Right. Right. <laughs> you, yeah. you moved on. So Casey says in the in the Twitter yeah. thread. So much of the feeling of imposter syndrome comes from lack of mastery experiences, lack of skills for collaboration, lack of vulnerability, lack of accountability. I want to talk, I want to focus here just for a moment on the mastery piece, Mm -hmm. meaning we talk a lot about helping kids find their passion. Yep. I think I found in my life that often becoming good at something preceded the passion. Yeah. It's almost like, uh, when I discovered relational databases and how they work and realized that my mind could wrap it around it and became really good at that, it became a passion because I was good at it. Yeah. I would never have told you that that was going to be a passion for me until I actually became good. So, you know, is this kind of a, a, a feedback loop? Um, you know, this idea that we don't sometimes challenge ourselves or the students that become really good at something maybe stops them from being able to feel confident because they need that base of, Oh, I know how to, I know how to become good at something. So that you actually said what the actual thing you got good at was building confidence, the process involved in building confidence. It isn't. So when we look at mastery, it's a different mindset around mastery. Um, really great entrepreneurs master the mindsets of confidence, the mindsets involved in having integrity, um, whether that be your own or the qualities of people that you would bring to your team. Um, They master the process of innovation, of taking risks, of failing, of moving forward and doing it again. They master resiliency. They master self-awareness. So, I don't like the word mastery at all because it's too confusing, especially in the education perspective that, that it's, you graduate from it. Like you never, um, you never have to go. I like, so, cause I made up the word habitudes, but I don't care what you call it. When you think of habit and attitude with a habit, there's still a sense of building it, strengthening it like a muscle that the more you work it out, the more it's experienced, the more, you nurture it and grow it, you understand that that is, you have to think about context, you have to think about environment, you have to think about discipline, versus like just learning it, checking it off. Nothing about entrepreneurship fits in a box. Nothing about entrepreneur. I always find it intriguing that we teach entrepreneurship as a course, (laughs) like mostly from people who've never been an entrepreneur or been around entrepreneurs. But I want to get fully away from the mindset of mastery because teaching a skill and developing and defining um, a mindset is really, really different. And what changes it is your experience. So it isn't content or knowledge that changes it. It's the experience. If you've never had the experience of taking a risk, of putting yourself out there, of failing, of putting hours and hours of heart and soul and energy. So I I think of Steve, like just you and I during the pandemic, things we put hours and hours and hours into 
um, I'll give the example of our well-being conference that we put into and we were ready. And right before launch, something happened in the world um, that exploded, that superseded it. And we canceled it literally the night before. Like we didn't, it wasn't like we looked at each other and said, oh my gosh, we need to get paid for all that time or we need to recuperate there. We got the website built and we've got the registrations out. Nope. We put out a statement because we understood the community saying, you know what? You guys are going through something right now. It would be insensitive for us to go through just because we built it and we're ready. We are, we're pausing this out of humility and out of respect. That is, that is what entrepreneurs do all the time. That's daily what they do. So Victory Heights Learning Center requested to take the mic. It yeah, was going to be please. our first request today. Yay! But then who's ever behind that account uh, turned that request off. But we would love to hear from someone oh, if, you have a, if you have a reaction. We're, we're talking about teacher entrepreneurship. We're talking about, oh, there we go. Okay, I'm going to approve. Perfect. It sometimes can take a second for your audio to come through. But yeah. Victory Heights, we're waiting on you. So happy to hear from you. you may have to turn your mic on. And I'll I'll mute my mic so that they don't have any feedback in there. Victory Heights, I'm super excited to hear from you. A very good evening. Victory Heights is right from Uganda. Welcome. Wonderful. Welcome. Welcome. What's resonating with you? Any yeah. Thank you, Angie and Steve. Uh, it's also the first time I'm also, uh, I just bumped into a future of education and I just wanted to say a word. Did you have a question or a comment? No, I just wanted to thank you and just to introduce myself. Uh, I'm still just enjoying the conversation. It's real uh, more productive. Do uh, I would say a word about entrepreneurship in education? is that the only challenge that we have as educators is uh, the level at which we are lagging behind other professions. You realize that apart from the West, where you will find teachers being humiliated a little bit uh, fairly, the rest of the world, teachers are looked at as failures in professions they ought to have had people who wanted to be doctors and failed, they ended up in education. So you find the entrepreneurship ends up within only those who are capable to have financial muscles, unlike those who like to act on behalf of the education. You realize that education has been left to the hands of politicians whose interest is only to acquire their political positions. So you realize that currently that education in our, the whole of Africa is asleep. All schools have been closed. Internet in some countries is taxed. Uh, you realize that the appraisers and the teacher training centers, all of them were almost out of technology. So the, like the African continent where I come from, entrepreneurship in it has been left to only businessmen who have the financial muscles 
and they are in there for business ventures. They are not there for the sake of education. They are not there for the sake of children. All they are there is for profit maximization. The COVID pandemic has given us a wonderful opportunity to have an insight of what we really need, what are the priorities. Had we all the leaders or those the politicians looked into it that what do we really need? If the challenge is on vaccination and we are only looking at small sectors of uh, innovators with the, uh, the COVID vaccines, what about a whole set of a continent that we don't see anybody trying to say, no, we are here as well. When we this don't is such a, oh, go ahead. If we don't come out as educators to inspire as many new generations to come, we find ourselves deep into the ditch as well. Currently, there's been a wave in, uh, in Europe, I think, basically in England, about racial discrimination. And teachers still, we don't come out to give our view of it. Of we said we try to concentrate around uh, what around a barricade of classrooms and schools, and we don't lay out what happens in the community. Yet we have to put ourselves in there and give views in their side. People can see that really there is a stronger institution in education than in a school. This is such a good topic, and thank you so much for yes, raising absolutely. your hand. Uh, Angela, I'm really interested in this balance between there's teacher entrepreneurship and then there's sort of education entrepreneurship and sort of what the role of schools are in communities is, is, is just being described there and the opportunities. There's, something, there's an interesting parallel for me, right, which is that we think about food in very diverse ways. I can go to an Indian restaurant. I can go to a Mexican restaurant. I can go to a hamburger joint. There's, there's no, I mean, there are McDonald's sort of standardized food, but there's a lot more variety in terms of entrepreneurial offerings and food. And, and why might that not be the case in education? Because I think education is in a bubble and how they talk about entrepreneurship many times is different their version of it like everything else the version of the world through the lens of education is different than what's existing in the world because most of the time i'm being very general so like of course there's exceptions but um you're like you're not surrounded by people who do this every day you're surrounded by your our version of it if you will so a lot of, oh, it's hard because it sounds like I'm criticizing education. It's very different. At the end of the day, education is built on and um, staffed with an employee's mindset. It's a government institution and it's driven in system at a systems level, not individual level. It's driven by protocols that are the antithesis of an entrepreneurial community and system. We operate the day different. We look at input different. Um, we look at contribution different. It isn't time served or time in and you're rewarded for that. In entrepreneurism, it doesn't matter if you are in it for five minutes or five, 50 years, 
the it, there's no like reward for time served or reward for hours put in. So it's hard to emerge as a true entrepreneur in that environment because we are we are the most risk averse environment out there. <laughs> so But we also we also yeah. have a natural hesitancy to to make a profit off teaching and learning. Yes. Right? Exactly. There is some you know mental. So Tom, you've been very patient. Tom Moorhead asked for the mic. Tom, you want to take us in a different direction or keep going here? No, thanks very much. Uh, Love the conversation. First time on this platform. I actually have been on Clubhouse many times with Angela and want to say I agree 100% with what you said about mastery. And it's it's great to finally be on Twitter um, platform. I've never used this. And I just love the conversation. I do think, though, you you talked about uh, mastery, but you mentioned entrepreneurship may not always be able to something we can teach. I think the the Kellogg philosophy that we've always used, I was lucky enough when I was at Kellogg for my MBAs, we had people that were true entrepreneurs. Those were the only people that were allowed to teach the courses. So we've had people like Carter Cast, who actually started up Walmart.com, has since then retired. So he's got a great entrepreneurial spirit. So I do agree that you don't want someone who's never really gone through all those trials and tribulations that you were talking about, Angela. But I think if you find the right yeah. person, it can make a difference. It can make a huge No, I totally agree. I think that's the key. I shouldn't have been so broad in the just and first of all, I'm really happy to see you on this platform. Different than Clubhouse, but equally exciting. Um, you are right. And in really good entrepreneurial, I would say primarily at the college level, like Kellogg, um, I'm working with Penn State and helping them launch this new entrepreneurial program. That's amazing. But it, their, their number one priority is to get actual entrepreneurs that have been through the journey. Like Steve, you said this earlier, like to be able to say, I understand how you're feeling. I've been through that a hundred times. I know what a letdown this is, but um, yeah, I totally agree. Sorry to interrupt you, Tom. No, that's So a, Tom, that's can I ask a, you a question? Sure, go ahead. So it seems like we've kind of identified that there are sort of two barriers to entrepreneur, th- thinking about teacher entrepreneurship. One is that the system itself is not an entrepreneurial system. It's one that rewards um, structure compliance and conformity. The second would be that we have a hesitation around making a profit in education. Do you think that those are, are the two real barriers? So I think on the, the secondary of making a profit, I think to some extent that's evolving. I mean, that would be the case. I think even when I was doing Kellogg 20 years ago for my MBA, I think there were people that, oh, we really can't be for profit. To some extent, I've seen that change quite a bit. Um, even so my daughter goes to Purdue University and they have been very aggressive in terms of trying to create, you know, entrepreneurship centers, centers of innovation. And to some extent they will offer, you know, in addition to their on-campus students, they offer that as a for-profit type of activity. Um, so I, I do think that there's some evolution in that. I don't know. I'd be curious to hear, are you seeing certain yeah. pockets where there still is resistant that we really can't make a profit on doing this type of thing? Well, I think the first thing that comes to mind for me is um, is sort of the progression of the healthcare industry, right? So if I'm remembering my history correctly, it was sort of the Nixon era in which you could form for-profit healthcare organizations rather than requiring that they be nonprofit. And, you know, you can make the argument that there's been a lot of innovation in healthcare, but there's also, you know, there have been sort of costs to that in terms of... um, 
drugs that get to market that shouldn't have or, or large scale mistakes or the cost of billing, all of these things. So it, I'm saying it's, I just think it's tricky because we, we think of education in such a way as we might describe that certain aspects of the entrepreneurial profit motive could actually work against, you have to be very consciously aware of the, of the traps. I totally agree. And I don't know if you're familiar as you were talking, Tom, um, and it is different in K-12 than it is in higher education. And educators um, are based in a system that's very territorial, that's very hierarchy. So they are, you, you must um, be hyper-conscious and aware of what many refer to as a crab bucket culture. And that's what I saw in this Facebook post that had like 168 comments against so instead of celebrating that these principles, um, and it was a principal forum, that these principles were out there, they're, they're being like self, they were called self-promoters, shysters, um, snake oil salesmen, like the further you get away from the work, like we don't openly like look at people that have a dual perspective, people that have done the work and can bring that, but have a different perspective once they've gotten outside of the work so this crab bucket mentality that anybody who tries to crawl out and above what that normal, no, normal behavior and expectation is like, you need to be in your place and you can't go beyond that because when you go beyond that, it threatens my place that it's easier to tear them down. And that's what like biologically happens with crabs. And that is, that is still something that we battle in education, which is the antithesis of innovation instead of supporting like you hide and you hold in you're scared what your colleagues are going to say if you do something different or you you rise above in some way or rise outside not necessarily above but you take an adjacent pathway you're called all these names um and you've got to be that's why i go back to you've got to be really strong in your convictions that you know, that what you have is servicing other people. I I don't want educators to feel like they have to defend their ability to innovate or to take a different path to making an impact beyond the four walls of a school. If we go back to our food analogy, there are all kinds of experiments, companies that get started, things that happen that, that go wrong. They don't succeed. The restaurant closes. There's a, there's a problem in the supply chain. There's food recalls. We get scared about having that kind of messiness in education, right? And so we'll look at a particular for-profit education organization and we'll say, okay, they were able to expand rapidly, but they did so by compromising in the following ways. Is part of it just that we hold education in a sort of a more sacred space that we're sort of afraid to make mistakes. And Tom, please jump back in. I think some of it is this resistance to change. Um, you know, I, I met uh, Sal Khan of Khan Academy, like the first year that he was starting to launch Khan Academy. And there was just, it was a phenomenal concept. And a lot of people were literally like, why would he do this? Why is this all these resources for free? And even today, I think it's, it's a, a phenomenal platform that he's built. But there are some folks that are still skeptical of that. And I think it's, 
I, there's many industries that have, have failed to evolve as quickly as they need to. And I think the educational industry, especially at the K to 12 level is, is in that space. Um, I've got a good friend whose daughter actually teaches at a, um, a charter school and she loves it. And she is a product of, you know, public school system that went through the Catholic high school system, um, went to the university of Michigan. So she's seen different models and she said that we truly are making a difference, but there's a huge pushback even still against some of the charter schools. And I think that's, it's a classic example of no, uh, we don't want change. Change threatens us. It, it, it's a, you know, a a push to the status quo and we don't want to do that. And I think if any of all the different industries I've consulted in, that's probably one remaining that is still very resistant by and large to change. Now there's some great pockets of optimism, but I think it, it comes down to just being resistant to change. So you called it an industry, which is interesting. Did you pick up on that, Angela? I mean, we don't I often did, talk about I the did. education industry. I mean, one of the things, Tom, that I find so interesting is we say that education is about magnifying the potential of each individual child. But I think in truth, that's not what we actually do. So, so part of the difficulty of, of the education space or industry is that I don't think we tell the full truth about what's going on. We really want people who will work and obey and get things done on time and, and will feel that they're responsible to someone else who's giving instructions and direction. So if we really felt like education was about magnifying the capability of each individual child, I think we would be much more open to the kind of free marketplace that we have in the food industry. Or almost or other industries as well. Almost every other industry like it. Yeah. Yep. Tom, you started. Keep going. I was just going to say it's it's probably another example would be if you look at you know, education in different countries. And I think there's still the resistance here for many people to admit other company or other countries and other companies have figured this out. We can't just I mean, you know, I'm a Native American. I love America, but we need to look globally and look at what other models exist in other uh, countries and, and realize and accept the fact that they're kicking our butt in some of these um scores and testing. And I don't want to teach to the test. I'm not a proponent of that, but we need to think we, we are being just surpassed by so many other um, countries. And we need to say it's time for a wake up call. Things need to change. Um, we can't just rest on our laurels of saying, oh, we've, we've produced a great many scientists and inventors, which we have. But if we look at some of those composite test scores of how kids are so focused in other countries, we need to take a look at that and say, okay, what can we learn from them and kind of pull together some of their ideas and step outside of the box. That's important to think if we want to continue to grow and be a leader around the globe, we need to look at our K to 12 process as well. Such a good conversation. Okay. We're at the top of the hour. My commitment is to keeping this just to an hour. Uh, thanks, Angela. Thanks to Tom and Victory Heights. Appreciate the comments. Thanks to Casey for putting notes in the chat. Any final thoughts, Angela? I well, First, I'm just grateful that you all are here. But I think that um, I'm going to go back to we worry so much about perfection and that related to success that if we started worrying and moving education toward a conversation of significance, the success will naturally follow. And that goes back to knowing who you are, what your value is, how you can give value, knowing that you matter. Um, 
and I think just that simple shift um, and conversation or orientation to significance versus success that we would see a completely different journey for everyone in education and most importantly, our students. I loved the focus on uh, self-mastery and self-work, trying to figure that out and knowing that that's so important if you have an intention to guide others. Thanks everybody. Uh, this will be posted on futureofeducation.com. This is going to start being a daily show in about a week. Take care. Thanks, Angela. Thanks, everybody. Bye.